given the season of the year. The New York Times provided an update on the city of Bethlehem this week. From the time our president officially recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, protests have broken out in the place of Jesus' birth. Bethlehem is located in the West Bank, part of the territory controlled by the Palestinians. The Christchurch pilgrims who recently traveled to the Holy Land discovered they had to pass through the graffiti-covered separation wall dividing the territories in order to visit the Church of the Nativity, the traditional site of the manger. Generally overrun with tourists, this Christmas it's largely devoid of visitors since the smell of tear gas hangs in the air. It's a challenging site to visit for a number of reasons, but chief among them is the disjunction between the sweet Christmas pieties we have here in the U.S. confronting the torturous religious political context of today's Bethlehem. It's a jarring disconnect. But then part of the learning for the pilgrims involves the rediscovery that Jesus was also born into a perilous political time. As the story is told, as you well know, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem as a result of a political decree. And we remember that Jesus will ultimately die as an enemy of the state. Our religion is fraught with political overtones that cannot be escaped. Sweet pieties aside, Jesus lived a true human life in dangerous days. And, as the story is told, his mother was an ordinary, unassuming person from an ordinary, unassuming background with ordinary, unassuming prospects for the future, including an arranged marriage, likely, to a carpenter. She was a nobody from nowhere, as far as the world's elites would have known or cared. There are probably more than a billion women in our world today equivalent to Mary who draw about the same level of interest from us as she attracted within the Roman Empire. Despite the mystical, fantastical trappings of our story, we know that it emerges from a real time and place among real people who struggled with real time issues. We say something of breathtaking audacity at this time of year. The creator of all things, that all that is, assumes human form in a startlingly modest fashion. Award-winning children's author Madeline Lengel described the birth of Jesus as the glorious impossible. We say God entered the world in a fashion that startles the imagination, ignoring the powerful and opting instead to grace a nobody from nowhere. 
And then according to our story, this poor young peasant woman responds with a great big, yes, here I am, the Lord's servant. Let it be with me according to your word. And you know, when I think about the whole Christmas saga, this seems one of the most remarkable aspects. As Barbara Brown Taylor put it, Mary asked, how can this be? And that is all she asked. But there are several other questions I believe I would have asked, such as, will Joseph stick around? Will my parents still love me? Will my friends stand by me, or will I get dragged into town and stoned for sleeping around? Will the labor be hard? Will there be someone there to help me when my time comes? You say the child will be king of Israel, but what about me? Will I survive his birth? What about me? We're not told if Mary experienced questions like these. What we are told is that she lived into the call that was placed on her life. She took what was handed to her and received it as her own. In this way, we might say she grew into her integrity, her wholeness. She said yes to God and embraced her responsibilities. The story reports that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And the thoughtful reader muses that this is a very strange blessing. I mean, it's not as if she's told, you've won the mega millions jackpot, or God intends to make you famous, or even something like, you will now live happily ever after, favored one of God. Instead, Mary's blessing is that she will conceive a child out of wedlock who will grow into a remarkable man, to be sure, but ultimately convicted of a state crime punishable by death. And on the face of it, Jesus will die like a nobody from nowhere, too. On the face of it, Mary was the recipient of what I would call a very severe blessing. Matthew's version of the Christmas story points a laser on Joseph. He has his own version of blessing to embrace. He's the one whose fiancée is now pregnant, a major disgrace for him and his family. Matthew reports what happens next this way. Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly, but just when he had resolved to do this, one of those pesky angels appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph resolves to grow into his integrity. That is, he resolves to do the more difficult thing, the thing that's consistent with the claim of God on his life. This wasn't the first thing he thought to do. but it was the better thing to do. Mary and Joseph then are bookends to the same blessing. They each have a call made upon their lives. They have choices to make and each could have chosen differently. And friends, this is where we enter the story. 
medieval mystic Meister Eckhart said, we are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace and I am not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and in my culture? This then is the fullness of time when the son of God is begotten in us. Now I suppose that might sound a bit out there for some of you, but then Honestly, the Christmas story has no true meaning apart from how it lodges within the lives of the living. And God knows that our time seems extremely fertile ground for a new thing to take root, something hopeful and fruitful. You feel that, don't you? I mean, the depressing news and our heightened anxiety shouts this out. We need a new thing. Perhaps the Christmas story has been so saturated with sentimentality that we can't see beyond the gooey sweetness and can't imagine how it could possibly be relevant to what I will find at home today or at work tomorrow or with the relatives at a happy holiday reunion, not to mention with the machinations of the powerful in matters of politics and justice and peace. But you know, sometimes, once in a while, something happens, something startling, some new thing interrupts our previously devised plan and choices are set before us that are really quite clear once we open our eyes and listen hard. We're invited to grow into a larger version of ourselves then, to do the better, more difficult thing. In effect, to say yes to God. That Gabriel spoke to a nobody from nowhere should make plain the fact that no one falls outside the bounds of God's attention. No one. Everyone is within the range of God's voice. No prior condition prevents God from breaking into anyone's life, anywhere. Even those who have migrated to modern-day Rome, a.k.a. New York City, the center of the universe, a city of great expectations, a locus of both astonishing human accomplishment and corruption. In each of us, God desires to be born anew this Christmas. And Gabriel exclaims, Greetings, favored ones. The Lord is with you, all of you. Each of us confronts a similar predicament as Mary and Joseph. That's our existential situation and our spiritual work. How shall we grow into our integrity, into wholeness, into God's intention for our lives? 
will we join our voices with Mary and exclaim, Yes, here I am, the Lord's servant. Let it be with me according to your word. As I was preparing this today, I was attempting this little exercise myself. I sat quietly in front of a fire with my hands open, saying, God, please be born in me today. It's a challenging, discomforting exercise. It requires true spiritual integrity. I invite you, as this day progresses, to give it a go. The world needs you. <laughs>